Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And it's a warm welcome to you here from Alec Hogg. Well, looking at the markets internationally, they are pretty flat today. Uh, nothing much going on in Wall Street where the NASDAQ is the strongest of what's happening there, about half a percent up. The Dow and the S&P are flat, flat, flat. As far as South Africa is concerned, well, here at home, the indices, uh, the JSC indices, also not a whole lot to write home about. Top 40 was flat on the day. Uh, industrials up about half a percent. Uh, resources down about one percent. And in tonight's show, we've got one of South Africa's most respected miners, an uh, entrepreneur, Derdacent, as they would say in the Northern Cape, where he's uh, recently done a, another great acquisition, or so it appears to be. Andres van Heerden is the Chief Executive of AfriMat. I can see you in the virtual studio, Andres. Uh, whereabouts exactly are you? I know you're at home, but, but where might that be? Um, can you hear me clearly? Got you now, yes. Oh, fantastic. Alec, I'm in my home in Cape Town. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but my wife was tested positive for COVID this morning, so I had to rush home, and we we're in, in a sudden lockdown. So uh, fortunately, it doesn't look too serious, though, but it's uh, – so I'm in Cape Town. Wow, that's that's a bit of breaking news there for the Van Heerden uh, clan. I I'm, I'm hope that everybody that you know picks this up, and, and all the very best to, to your wife and to you in, uh, in this uh, period. But – I guess the the chances are uh, that some somewhere along the line you're either going to get a vaccination or you're going to get COVID. So as long as one's healthy, and you look pretty healthy, <laughs> so that sounds, yeah, no, thank you. That sounds good. We're going to be talking in in a moment about. Uh, uh, about the acquisition that you did and a little bit more about AfriMat itself. But tonight's guest co-host is Magnus Haystick. Magnus, as always, on a Wednesday, lovely to have you with us. Do you know much about Andres and AfriMat? Yes, I've been following Andres and, and AfriMat. A very nice, very nice story there, and I'll be very keen to hear what uh, he's been up to. So I'm getting the news firsthand, as they say. Alec, thank you. We always do on this program, and, uh, well, we also, coming up tonight, have got a really fascinating story. I was sent a video uh, on a guy who I interviewed a while ago called Willem Petzer. Now, Willem is an activist. He's a farmer. He had a pretty difficult time in his family, so he decided to do something about what he saw are the difficulties in South Africa. And he has been speaking out for his community. And over the last week, he published a video. Now, Willem is a little bit of a celebrity when it comes to YouTube. If you look him up or or Google him, you'll see that his videos are, are pretty well watched. The one that he wrote about here is on a tax or an anti-tax plan. In, in it's got a it's got a gripping headline, Magnus, that you'll just love. Uh, how do you stop the ANC from stealing your tax money? <laughs> and and what he's saying is, you take the you take your money and you put it into trusts and you put it into this organisation that he has put together. And well, we'll be talking about that uh, in some detail as uh, as we have Willem on the second half of our program. Ahead of that, tonight we'll also be touching on cryptocurrencies. Now, I know Magnus, you've been 
uh, quite outspoken about crypto and the dangers that exist there. But my goodness, if you'd been whipsawed or caught up in crypto in the last, just the last week, uh, it could have changed your address, not in a good way. Yes, indeed. Uh, just about Willem Petzer, I retweeted your tweet about Willem, and uh, it, it was it's, it's loved by 289 of my followers, and I'm sure many of your followers. So there's a there's a, there's a rage building up amongst uh, South Africans about tax and the way our taxes are being spent, and the, and the um, and the, and the whole situation. So yes, that tweet of yours. Went absolutely viral, Alec, and I've even been approached by Willem for further comments. So yeah, that's that's that was a great tweet. And I watched the video, and people just love it. So well done, Alec. He's making a lot of sense, isn't he, Magnus? Uh, I mean, obviously, people we can all make up our own minds after we speak with Willem later in the program. But a lot of what he's saying, it's, it's tapping into uh, things that many other South Africans are maybe too scared to say. Indeed, um, perhaps you know he's starting out in life, uh, in life uh, and attacking some of the things that uh, we feel powerless about. And you know, many people over the years have said, "When is there going to be a tax revolt?" Now we can't all stop paying our taxes. You'll have law enforcement, but we we need to express our anger. And, and I think the the road that he is suggesting is perhaps a smart one. Do it through the courts. Keep them very busy in court so they can explain how they're spending or not spending our money and where there's theft. What are they doing in terms of the constitutional rights, etc.? So I think he's going to get a lot of support for his campaign. Well, he's looking for one and a half million signatories, and uh, that's 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 big stuff. But uh, well, we'll be talking to him uh, just after six o'clock. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. But first up is Andres van Heerden. Well, Andres, uh, I, I, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that you are, uh, alongside Neil Froneman, the most respected miner uh, in South Africa at the moment. And Neil's mostly offshore, so that means you're in a, you're in a group of one. Afrimat's been an incredible story. Uh, when you started, well, maybe give us, uh, rather than me uh, uh, stealing your thunder, how did it all come about, The what was first a, a materials handling company? How did you decide to start Afrimat? Uh, Alex, it's a, it's a long sh- story. I, I joined the industry 20 years ago in a little quarrying company called Prima Klubbrekers in Worcester. And in 2003, we saw a major change in, in the industry with a lot of legislation and BEE and all those things. And I came up with the idea of consolidating uh, the, the industry. And initially, we we ran with the idea. And then my uh, my shareholders at the time, my bosses, got uh, got very nervous about this really crazy idea. And they got advice from a very clever lawyer that told them, rather fire the guy and carry on with your lives. Uh, which they then did. They fired me in 2005. And I then went and I bought together with uh, with partners. We bought a little company called Lancaster Quarries in KZN. Fantastic little business. And uh, I moved to Frey 8 in KZN. And John Wern of WG Wern then listed his uh, quarrying business and proved to, to my ex-colleagues uh, that the idea is not so stupid. And then 
uh, and I'm cutting a lot of detail out now, we, we got together again. Uh, it was a bit difficult for me emotionally, but eventually we got over it. We got together and we merged the two companies, uh, Lancaster and Prima, in uh, 2006 uh, and listed it under the name Afrimat. Uh, it came from African Materials. And uh, since then, we've been acquiring a couple of uh, acquiring businesses, doing the consolidation that we planned initially. It worked extremely well. And then the 2008 crisis hit, and we got a, a little nervous about the construction sector. And we decided that we could use our skills elsewhere, and we, we went on and we bought a few um, uh, industrial minerals businesses, the first of which was a, a mine called Glen Douglas that belonged to uh, Exaro. And uh, that's where you came in, uh, Alec, because at, uh, in, on a, in, in 2012, you actually chose Afrimat as your share early in January, <laughs> and that really kick-started our share price because our share price was really taking a hammering up until that point. You can actually see on the graph that on what night you chose it, and there our, our share price uh, changed its direction, and it's uh, it's been on an upward curve. Our share price was trading, if I can remember correctly, around about two rand at the time, and tonight it closed at 50. Wow. So uh, it was an interesting choice of yours. I think you didn't... <laughs> Uh, you helped us a lot there at that stage. But um, sure, I tell you so what, yeah, Andres, Andres, I should have mortgaged my house and followed the own recommendation. But uh, congratulations on, on adding so much value for shareholders. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so we bought a few, few uh, limestone and dolomite mines since then. Um, and uh, we've specialized in trying to find those assets that were that had huge potential and were not fully, uh, you know, not not reaching their potential at the time. So we did a few acquisitions like that. Um, and then in 2016, we bought an iron ore mine in the Northern Cape. Uh, at the time, the iron ore price was $55 and the rand was trading at 12 rand. And uh, uh, even Anglo-American thought that, that uh, iron ore was dead at the time. And, uh, yeah, we, we were very fortunate. Uh, things worked well for us. And since then, we've acquired a few more iron ore reserves in the Northern Cape. We've bulked that up. We recently also bought a, uh, um, a, an anthracite mine in uh, Mapumalanga that was also in, in deep distress, and we're busy with the turnaround of that. Um, and now we've uh, just announced that uh, hopefully a year from now, um, We'll, uh, we'll be able to start mining uh, manganese. It's a wonderful story, but uh, do you remember Freyhate? <laughs> it's my part of the world, you know, Nuort Natal. Yeah, I still go there very often. I actually mm -hmm. spent a few, few days there just two weeks ago, yeah. Oh, well, we, we uh, uh, growing up, Newcastle was, uh, was always Freyhead High School, and then the, uh, the, the soccer team from Freyhead were pretty useful, would you believe? Uh, and we used to yeah. play against them as well. So a, a very warm place in many people's hearts. Andres, before we talk about the manganese mine that you've, uh, that you've acquired in the Northern Cape, because that is a, it's a whole story on its own, you also walked away from a deal in Australia and, and I'd love to get your insight on that. Many South Africans would give their left arm to have an acquisition of an offshore company or a foreign company. And there you had it on a plate, but you decided not to do the deal. Hmm. Yeah, Alec, it actually wasn't an Australian company. It was listed in Oz, but 
It was South African coal assets. Um, it's a good business. Um, and uh, the CEO that I had at the time, uh, I, I actually really respected him. I think he's a, he's a very, very good guy. But given the, the realities of the mine, um, we would run into a, a cash flow pit just about six months after the acquisition because they would get to the end of life in one of the mines and spend capital to open up a new mine. So it was just the, the it was a relatively easy decision because after spending, and at that time it would have been 50% of our market cap that we would have spent on an acquisition, and then just six months later to spend another 30% of your market cap and, and cash to, to open up a mine, you know, the, the, the sums just didn't work. So mm-hmm. it was a relatively easy sum, but there was nothing wrong with the business. It's just that the uh, for, for, for us, the, the sums just didn't work. And would you have kept the Aussie listing had you done the deal? Probably not, uh, no. We would probably have, have uh, it was a very complex structure with, uh, it was actually a company, if I can remember correctly, the holding company was actually uh, registered in the UK, but listed in uh, in Australia and operating in South Africa. It was very, very complicated. And, uh, you know, uh, I always say tongue-in-cheek, I grew up on the West Rand. I don't understand these complicated structures. I try to keep it simple. Warren Buffett says the same thing. If you if you can't understand it or if it doesn't, doesn't make sense in words of one syllable, then stay away. Manganese makes a lot of sense, though, particularly South Africa being a huge um, producer of manganese. Uh, this deal that you've done, you did last week, um, it's got a history of its own. Uh, the Chinese, until you've come along, owned it. They then had a, a boxing match with the minister of uh, D or the DME minister. It really has got a, a, a bit of a track record of being caught up in 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 the courts. I think it took eight years, didn't it, before uh, they were able to get to the point that we're at now. So how good is this deposit? If they were prepared to fight it all the way up to the Constitutional Court, uh, to which you have now acquired here for uh, all around about 700 million rand. Yeah. yeah the, um, the reserve is one of the, the last remaining uh, re- really large reserves in the Kalahari manganese field um it is a relatively shallow reserve we can mine it open pit for for the first probably first 10 to 15 years i think probably 15 years at least that we can mine open open pit um and it's a really good quality it's 39 percent plus uh manganese which is a a very good quality for manganese what is low quality just for context for context what for context what would low quality manganese be if 39 percent is good um, I, I'm, I'm a little out of my depth here to, to, to know exactly where the limits are. I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure about that. Sorry. Okay, but significantly um, lower than 39%, presumably. It is significantly lower, but I'm, I'm careful now. I'm, my, my memory is not that good. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, so I don't, I'm, I'm not no. exactly sure. But, mm-hmm. but this is one of the best quality reserves it's uh, it's it's a very large reserve um and it is uh, um it's it's relatively easily mineable um, very close to the technology that we know i see that you might even go underground now that's an interesting one that a manganese mine to mine it underground it's going to have to be very very rich 
uh, given the, the economics. There are some of those uh, uh, Kalahari field manganese mines that are open, that are mining underground already. Um, and um, in the next couple of years, that's one of the other things that, that the team was very excited about is many of the, the existing open pit players will be uh, reaching the end of their open pit life um, in the next five to ten years, which will, uh, which will then just enhance our, our, uh, our um, cost. How do you pronounce it? Gray, it uh, you spell it Graven Hague, which sounds uh, yes. a little bit macabre being a grave, but uh, where does the name come from and, and, and how do you actually pronounce it properly? It's, it's a Dutch word, Gravenhage, and uh, I'm not sure what Hage means, but Graven is, 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 is a spade. So, uh, so uh, it's got something to do with digging in the, in the ground there. Indeed. Uh, Magnus. Um, that is a Dutch name, Gravenacher. Gravenacher. Well, we, we will call it by its correct name. Uh, Gravenacher for 700 million, roughly 50 kilometers north of Hot as Hell. Magnus, uh, uh, Hot, well, I, I don't know how, how other people pronounce Hot as Hell, or I suppose Hot Azel, but does Varmdasel. Must be very hot, and I see it's close to a town called Aventur, so it could be an adventure for Andres <laughs> in many respects, you know. He can also one day write his book, and then they fired me. But that title has already been taken by Yanni Maton, so he'll have to come up uh, with something else, like uh, they, they dug my grave or something. <laughs> <laughs> How I was fired and rehired, or something along those lines. It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, um, personal journey to go through when you're fired by a company and then merge with them thereafter. You said it, it was uh, difficult. Have, have those guys stuck around? Are you still partners today? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are. Um, unfortunately, they were, three, they were three shareholders. Unfortunately, uh, one of them passed away. Uh, he, he, uh, he had cancer. The other two uh, are still significant shareholders in our business. And, it, and actively involved? No, not anymore. They uh, they both are retired now. Um, the one was still actively was actually on our board for a while um, until he I think he turned seventy and then he uh, then he decided to to go farming full time. And I'm sure they are thanking their lucky stars that they did get back together with you, given the uh, wealth that you've created for them too. But uh, Andres, before we let you go, uh, this this. Uh, Super cycle that so many people are talking about. There are really two parts to it. Is manganese one of the minerals that uh, that is is in high demand now, given the move that we're seeing away from dirty energy, if you like? And then, secondly, and more broadly, do you buy the super cycle argument? I think the second part first. I definitely do buy the super cycle argument. Uh, how long is it going to last? That. Uh, Think that I'll leave to Magnus to, uh, <laughs> to 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 speculate on that. I've, I'm absolutely not qualified. I uh, I said uh, we had a board meeting today because we're going to publish our results tomorrow morning, and uh, um, I said to, to the board we've got the super cycle. It's 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 probably at least going to last another day, but it could last another year or two. So we I really don't know. Um, uh, the mang- uh, the magne- uh, manganese seems to not have been uh, benefiting so much. The the price is a little uh, a little lower than than one would expect, um, and uh, it is uh, um, 
uh, one of the reasons is that the South African uh, producers, there were quite a number of new producers that entered the market, and, and the market is starting to stabilize now. So, uh, yeah, the, it's, not as, it's not as good as iron ore, but we, we, we have seen it better in the past. But we think there's a lot of demand ahead, especially given that uh, it can also be used for batteries. Uh, it, it gets used for many other uses other than only the ferrous, the ferrous market. So you are exposed then to the new wave? We are. We are. Good news indeed. Uh, Magnus, do you want to uh, pose a question or shall we let Andres go and get ready for his no, results that's great. tomorrow? Good. All the best, uh, Andres, with your wife and her COVID. I mean, it seems to be there is a third wave. We're picking it up from everybody. So all the best there. Look after your health. Yeah, thank you very much. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, I know, Magnus, you've been talking a lot about uh, the JSE not being a great place to invest, but uh, earlier today, Jackie Cameron had a chat with the um, the man behind a Dubai company that wants to list on the JSE and raise four and a half billion rand. Uh, it's a what what we call a IPO or initial public offering, the biggest to happen on the JSE for quite some time. Let's pick up on this with Jackie. I'd love to get your comments afterwards, Magnus. The pool of stocks available for investment has been steadily shrinking over the past decade, with companies complaining about red tape costs and illiquidity in Johannesburg. A Dubai-based education company is bucking this trend. Joining me, Jackie Cameron for Biz News, on the line now from the UAE is Mr. Radhakrishnan Nair, CEO of Athena Education, to talk about why his company is seeking a listing on the JSE. Many South African businesses have been exiting the JSE, but your company wants to raise capital through a JSE listing. Why the JSE of all the markets in the world? First of all, South Africa and UAE are not distant to each other in terms of the familiarity of the two markets. The relationship between the two countries has been very warm and strong from an economic focus perspective for more than 20, 25 years now. South African companies do business here. There are more than 100 South African companies who have their operations. There are many more who have their representative officers who work here. Many South African brands are like household names in the UAE. Medi Clinics, Nando's, Standard Bank, South African Airways, all of them. The trade volume between the two countries is over 45 billion rand. There are more than 100,000 South African people live here uh, in Dubai and work here. So from that perspective, we are not foreigners to each other, number one. But that's from a very macro perspective. Uh, coming to Athena specifically, Athena is uh, a, one of the prominent uh, education private school cattle operator in the UAE who has been in the business for the last five years. Uh, there is a very focused approach to expanding our footprint into other Emirates in the UAE, in other Gulf Cooperation countries, and certain select countries in Africa and Asia, including South Africa. There is a growth story, and it's an opportunity for uh, Athena 
to raise capital for its expansion program and it's an opportunity for the investor community in South Africa to participate in Athena's growth story. How did you narrow your choices to the JSE? One of the main reasons is the familiarity of South Africans in the investor community, companies who have listed in JSE, who are in K-12 education business, kindergarten to grade 12. There have been a few success stories of K-12 education businesses on the JSE, listed in JSE. So from that perspective, the market is very familiar with what success can be achieved in this uh, segment. Mr. Mr. Nanea, who is the chief executive of uh, Athena, now Magnus. Okay, I've listened to that uh, clip and the whole interview is on Business Radio. So you can go onto Business Radio, go and uh, listen to it and it still baffles me. Why would a Dubai company that started five years ago in uh, education come to the JSC and think that it could raise four and a half billion rand from South African investors, it, it, it baffles me. It's a, it's a, it's a tall order, uh, Alec. Obviously, we haven't seen them prospectus and looked at it in greater detail, but as I was listening, I had the same thoughts. It's a new company. It's coming to a market where it's well provided and stocked with private educational companies, you know, Kuro and all the others on our market. So it's already a, perhaps an overtraded market for various reasons. And yep. to look for that amount of capital in this climate in South Africa is going to be very difficult, I would suggest. But if they come with a compelling story, they might find some local fund managers who, who take up some shares, even the public will take up some shares. But um, it, it, it does sound like a story one has to watch and see how it it, it, it folds, unfolds in the next uh, couple of weeks and months. But four and a half billion in this market in education, in particularly with the very depressed um, private uh, financial status of many parents. There's already been a, a downscaling of schools. We hear reports that parents can't pay their school fees, ranging from the top and the most expensive ones even middle-class schools. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if they succeed. I sincerely hope they do. I'm not anti-JSE. It's just, you know, reporting on, on something that is happening and, and, and having a view negatively or positive is two different things. So, yeah, we do need listings to get the get some excitement going in our local market. Perhaps this is it, but we'll have to wait and see. But I would love to know if you brought a business that was five years old uh, based in a foreign country, in a field that, uh, well, Curo and Advertech haven't really shot the lights out of, of in recent times, and you went to institutional investors and you said, I want four and a half billion rand, uh, whether they'd be opening their wallets. Maybe there's something more to this. It, the whole thing to me just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And I can't understand uh, the, the logic A of coming to the JSC with a Dubai company, and B, uh, being able to tap into South African financial institutions, or maybe there are other people, maybe there are people who live in Dubai who've got investments in this country who, who want to support it. It's a tall order. I mean, we've got two very good operators, and their share price hasn't done much. So against that background, I might have to agree with you, Alec. 
anyway, we will be finding out more about that, and uh, it's it's coming to the JSC in the near future. One of the biggest listings on the market in quite some time. You can listen to the whole interview and make up your own mind by going on to biznewsradio.com, and uh, you'll find out more there on uh, from Jackie Cameron's uh, interview with uh, Mr. Radhakrishnan Naya there. Uh, CEO of Athena. Marius Reitz joins us now. He is our go-to man when it comes to stories about cryptocurrencies. And uh, we're going to be talking to him just after the market report. But Marius, there's been a huge volatility in cryptos in the last uh, couple of weeks. We could, you can tell us a little later why. But last time we had you on this program, you were saying that the market was very much in the greed uh, factor are we now have we now switched uh, cryptos into the fear area yeah absolutely um Alec. i think you know bitcoin the bitcoin price is notoriously volatile we've had a good run for the last year um but the market pulled down recently and we've, we've seen 15 of these ups and downs ups and downs over the last decade or so so um, the market's definitely in, in the fear in the fear section in um yeah, currently. So um, we'll have to see how this plays out. I guess the uh, story there, we'll be talking to Morris uh, just after uh, Nadia has brought us up to date on the market report. But the story there is that you should be selling when everybody else is greedy and buying when everybody else is fearful. Uh, we'll find out from Morris whether and Magnus whether it, it, it indeed is an opportunity to be buying into cryptos but it's the top of the hour it's uh, six o'clock and we have our editor at large jackie cameron uh, and her flash briefing former president jacob zuma has finally appeared in court to face corruption money laundering and racketeering charges he pleaded not guilty on all counts zuma's lawyer dalian porfu spent part of the first day of the trial arguing that state prosecutor billy downer should be replaced he says that Downer is not independent and impartial because he supported an opposition party's bid to ensure that Zuma faced charges. Zuma, aged 79, was fired as deputy president in 2005 after his financial advisor was found guilty of soliciting bribes for him from arms dealers in the 1990s. Later, Zuma led South Africa for almost nine scandal-marred years before the ruling party forced him to step down in 2018 to stem a loss of electoral support. The number of confirmed COVID-19 infections has risen about 17% in South Africa over the past week. This is the warning from the Department of Health. The hospitalization rate has risen about 12% over the week, while the death rate has climbed by about 30%. Just over 3,000 new infections were reported in the 24 hours until Tuesday, says the Department of Health. South African taxpayers are footing the bill for the country's spy agency to beef up its economic intelligence unit so that it can play a proactive role in supporting the nation's companies as they expand beyond their home base. This is according to State Security Minister Ayanda Tlodlo, who says firms that could benefit from the intelligence operatives' expertise include telecommunications giant MTN and Sassel, the world's largest producer of motor fuel from coal. MTN operates in 21 markets, while Sassel's business spans 30 countries. South Africa's health minister, William Kieser, at the centre of a corruption scandal, is facing calls for his resignation. A forensic investigation and a probe by the Special Investigating Unit are underway into a contract with 150 million rand. Mkise says the public outrage and anger over the Digital Vibes contract was justified, but he will not be stepping aside. He denies personally benefiting from the contract. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. 
I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For those and the other big stories of the day, visit biznewsradio.com. Thanks, Jackie. Sure, for what it's worth, uh, I have followed William Kesey's career, and he's not a crook. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Dr. May, both medical doctors, stay in the same house that they've lived in for something like 30 years, so they certainly aren't flashing around money. And when he says he personally didn't benefit, I believe him. But uh, let's uh, see if the court of public opinion believes him as well. Of course, that's much more important. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And that's your cue, Nadia Swat. How did the markets go today? <laughs> Well, the JC All Share Index was flat today at 66,108. MediClinic was up by 5.5% to 63 Rand 70 per share. MTN was up by 3.5% to 16 Rand 90 per share. Career was down by 4.5% to 490 Rand per share. And Anglo Gold Ashanti was down by 4% to 337 Rand per share. In the currency markets, the Rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 13 Rand 76 to the dollar. 19 rand 44 to the pound and 16 rand 81 to the euro. Gold is higher at $1,904 an ounce. Brent crude is steady at $68.83 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 535,000 rand a Bitcoin. 535,000 rand, Nadia. That's a little bit uh, uh, stable for <laughs> for Bitcoin in it's the last a, couple of days. Steadily and steady for uh, the last week or so. Uh, Marius Rates, are you still with us? Marius? Let's see. We have call muted uh, from Marius. So unfortunately, we seem to have lost him. But uh, hopefully, he'll be back in a minute. Uh, Magnus, from your perspective, uh, just to to pick up on those markets, anything there that that surprised you? Clearly, with MediClinic up by five percent, uh, that was due to the results that we saw today, which clearly the market liked. Despite the fact that they, I mean, they had a big drop in their profits, the market did maybe expect more uh, losses and then started buying. That's the nature of markets. But you know, this 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 Bitcoin story, cryptocurrency story, Alec is going to be the story of our journalistic careers. I think we're going to end our careers on what's going to happen with Bitcoin. I was reading an article on Trustnet, which is a, a um, an industry website. And there was an article today by a guy called uh, Barry Norris. I think he's the brother of Chuck Norris, but uh, he's from a fun country <laughs> called uh, Ogano in, in, in Britain. And he says Bitcoin is the most successful Ponzi scheme of all times. And he just reckons it's a load of rubbish. We all be conned into it. It's got all the characteristics of a Ponzi scheme. And it's all going to go down to zero. Now, of course, uh, I tweeted that, and immediately I was body slammed <laughs> by the by the. You never learn, Magnus. <laughs> yeah, I must be. I must be a masochist. I must be loving people smashing me. It was incredible how people reacted and says, 
Jeroen Oudtoppie retire. You know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a compelling <laughs> argument. I'll, I'll send it to you. It makes for good uh, a debate. Maybe get him on the line and yeah. get someone from, from Bitcoin to, to defend. Fantastic debate. But, uh, Nuriel, I, I just thought, Nuriel Rabini, one of the great economists, the man who's known as Dr. Doom, one of the very few who called the 2008 uh, collapse, he also has sharp things to say about Bitcoin. But Maurice Rates is with us. He's with Luno. Maurice, uh, I, I know that we've been struggling with our comms with you, so you wouldn't have heard what Magnus said. But Chuck Norris's brother uh, is it, <laughs> has, has written a piece saying that, that, <laughs> that, that Bitcoin is a big Ponzi scheme. I, I, I guess you've got to come back with a, with a response to that, Maurice. Uh, yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, you know, I, you know that's I think uh, over, over the last week, people like Ray Dalio came out saying that he owns Bitcoin, mm. um, saying that he'd rather own Bitcoin than, than owning a bond. Um, and some JP Morgan analysts also recommended Coinbase, which is the first publicly traded crypto company as a buy. So, no, you definitely have contradicting views. Um, I, I definitely think some investors, some institutional investors, take a long-term view of the market. Um, they think that Bitcoin... Transactions will become more integrated with the financial system in future and not now in the next five, 10, 20 years. So it's a long-term bet. Um, they attach a dollar price to it and they take, they take up a small position. So you'll have different, different views. Short-term investors are speculators. Um, you know, they take bets that the price will go up and down in the short run. And it's mainly the short-term investors, the retail investors, the DIY investors that um, that led the, the Bitcoin sell-off over the last two weeks or so. So, uh, yeah. Uh, our uh, market reporter, Nadia Swat, my colleague, uh, is of the generation that loves Bitcoin. Uh, are you yeah, a Bitcoin yeah. owner, Nadia? No. I'm not. I'm not. And I, I was actually like regretting, like regretting it for a while. But lately, I think I made the wrong choice to just rather stay away. So the FOMO never really grabbed you? No, luckily not. Never been one prone to FOMO. Well, um, we'll be, we, we pick up with, with Nadia every, uh, every evening at this time. She brings us up to date on the markets. But, Marius, why has Bitcoin taken such a knock? Uh, what's from where you're sitting, clearly, you don't want to see extreme volatility. Last time you told us it was greed. Now you're telling us it's, it's fear. Is this, has it got anything to do with the fact that the Chinese have now pl- uh, aimed all their guns on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? And they said they're not going to allow them in China. And the United States says they're going to have their own uh, Bitcoin. In other words, the Fed coin, which will be a cryptocurrency worth just what $1 is. Has that... Uh, that's emboldened clearly uh, uh, Chuck Norris's brother, but has that been a reason why why um, others have been selling off? Alec, yeah, I think China was actually that's old news. I'm not sure if you get something like old news, but China was old news. That's a 2017 announcement that resurfaced uh, this week or last week on Reuters and CNN and other major media outlets. But I think if we if we look at the factors that 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 um, impact the Bitcoin price, it's, it's very much the same factors that would impact traditional assets. So um, regulatory, central bank decisions, updates, uh, trade wars, uh, um, uh, public commentary by influence such as Elon Musk. I think if we look at the Bitcoin market, it's roughly 6% uh, 
um, of the size of the, the gold market. So when these things happen, for example, Elon Musk tweets something, or there's an article around China banning crypto, which, by the way, they didn't ban crypto. They just banned financial institutions from processing crypto transactions. Then there's quite an impact on the market because it's much, much smaller. And because you have these DIY retail investors, they do desktop research, um, they react to social sentiment. And when the price uh, pulls back, they think the price will pull back even further, um, and they sell. And that led to a retail sell off over the last week or so. Um, from an institutional perspective, Tesla said that they're holding on to their $1.5 billion. That's probably, I'm not sure if it's worth more or less at this point, but when it's still up um, 34% year to date. Um, and we also saw MicroStrategy um, buying $10 million of additional Bitcoin. So got these institutions saying, okay, we're holding on. We've got retail buyers um, with fear and you know, fight, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They're selling off. Um, but as you said in, the, in the, the, the intro, the market has, over the last week, stabilized slightly. So not sure what's, what's next from here. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was mainly retail, retail lead, sell-off, Alex. Do you have a fair value there at Luno? This is your game. Do you have a fair value for Bitcoin? Uh, it's around, as we heard, about $35,000 today. We actually don't, uh, we don't really actually look at the price even. You know, we, we don't sit with screens and monitor the price. we building a, a company or a platform that's independent of the Bitcoin price because we think that Bitcoin will play an important role in the future of money. Um, and not in the next year or so, but it will become increasingly integrated and be used for transactions in future. Um, but having said that, Bitcoin is currently seen or is currently in the asset phase. So that's why you have this flood of uh, people with FOMO entering the market, wanting to buy Bitcoin as a, as a store of value. Um, and uh, once we reach a stage where people can derive more utility from, from Bitcoin, using Bitcoin for transactions, especially the differences in cross-border payments, where the fact that Bitcoin's decentralization will, will play a very important role in driving down the cost of transactions. Um, I, I think once we reach that stage, there's a critical mass of people buying and selling Bitcoin, and there's network effects from Bitcoin's use as a payment method. I think then we'll be able to get a clearer picture of, or we'll be able to attach a number. But at this point, it's so early on. Uh, there's lots of speculation around valuations, people comparing uh, Bitcoin to gold. And, and, and saying $500,000, it's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to say. $500,000 is, uh, well, just a, a conservative estimate in some people's opinion. I've heard numbers of a million dollars upwards. Well, it's a long way from there, 35000 and it certainly has come down a lot recently. Uh, we'll be talking, we'll be following the Bitcoin story as we go along. This market report was made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Okay, Magnus, I didn't want to bring you in because I think that uh, had you uh, had a swing at Marius, he might never, ever have come back again. So <laughs> let's rather leave the Bitcoin Ponzi scheme story uh, to the one side and, and concentrate on, I suppose some people could say governments are Ponzi schemes because uh, you vote for a government every five years. They then get into power. They then make a decision what to do with your money and uh, often waste it. And it's not just our government, although our guys are right up there with the best in the world at, at, at wasting money, as we know, or stealing money. Uh, but it, it really is a strange system if you think about it in, in rational terms. 
Well, the, one of the most popular uh, themes I would imagine in, in South African society uh, is sitting around a braai or a dinner table is to talk about tax and the tax revolt and the, the amount of taxes that we pay and the uh, and the wastage in in the taxes once it's been paid. I mean, there's an, an anger that's been building up over many, many years about this. And it's aimed at the ANC and the way they govern and the way, I mean, the assets. I mean, and, and I think that Willem Petzer has just touched on a raw nerve and, and started channeling this, this energy into, into a way for people to, to, to express their anger some way or the other so that government can, can at least take notice. So I think it's a great initiative. And then I, I'm most certainly going to support him, and I hope other people will do as well. Well, Willem is in our virtual studio. Good to see you, Willem. Uh, Magnus retweeted a tweet about uh, the Taxpayers Union of South Africa in your video, and he said he was flamed. He was, uh, what did you call it, Magnus? Body checked? <laughs> well, one guy called me. It was a, and I can't express the word, but it's a short Afrikaans word. It starts with a K and ends with a K. It's, and he and said, it's not you are talking rubbish. I mean, that's what people, <laughs> when, you, when you disagree, I mean, they have a go at you. So I'm used to it. But, but Willem, your, your, the tweet of Alec that I retweeted, I see has now been loved by 359 people. That's a lot of people who like what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, well, when I when I released that video on, on Facebook and on Twitter from my side, it was already loved by thousands of people. I think it's probably one of the best responded, uh, responses that I've ever gotten from a video that I've released from my side. Well, when I looked this morning, there were more than 50,000 people who had watched it. So clearly, as Magnus says, uh, you've hit a raw nerve. I haven't seen it much in the media. So no one one seems to have picked it up outside of your own YouTube grouping or your own uh, social unit. Who who are the people who, in other words, the, 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 the... uh, your inner circle or the close people who'd be following every move because clearly if this starts going viral uh it it you'll have many you'll have a multiple of that but who the who the first adopters of the villain pizza ideas well i would say probably the people who've been following me for the last five years um the video was actually viewed just yeah you know, just over fifty thousand times on youtube but on facebook it was already viewed over 180,000 times so we're looking at about a quarter of a million people who, who viewed the video um and we just got over let me just quickly check i can actually check for you on my website right now mm-hmm. just over 12,800 people who signed up to become members of the taxpayers union which i would say is a very very good start i mean we're not even a week old before day is old right now um it's a very good start but we're aiming to get 1.5 million people but the guys who, who i think signed up first are the guys who have been following me all these years and uh, who have a bit of a uh, how shall i put it uh faith in what the work that i'm doing uh, the last time we spoke uh, we did an interview for biz news and you told us your story it was fascinating i got a, a number of uh, very critical emails it seems as though not everybody yes. is a fan well, do you know what really irritates me, Alec, is there was an article written about me, and this is probably the only negative article ever written about me, in The Citizen by a guy called Daniel Friedman. And he they, um, posted like he posted a Photoshop tweet in which I apparently said that I am the most 
racist, Islamophobic, anti-feminist, whatever, uh, anti-gay person you'll ever meet or something like that. But the tweet's clearly photoshopped. And then he posted a bunch of memes that people have put in some comments or some forum. And we actually um, had a two-year court, or not court case, but we had a case against the citizen. And eventually an independent labor lawyer um ruled in our favor and the citizen had to fire Friedman for his unethical journalism for basically spreading these lies about me. But what irritates me about this is the fact that the article is still online and uh, for some reason the citizen never took it off. And now whenever people want to, you know, say something critical about me, they share this article, even though the truth is the journalist was already fired for it. That's so interesting. Uh, I had a, during the Gupta era, some one of the Gupta uh, dark media players created a Twitter account with Alec Hogg, A L L E C Hogg, and they used that to f- uh, fool somebody to have a, a conversation, a conversation with me, mm. which obviously I had nothing to do with. Where I was also made out to be this kind of a person. Thankfully, uh, the and it was retweeted by some very big names in uh, in on Twitter. And I, I, thankfully, I got hold of the people immediately and said, look, this is not true. You can see uh, I had nothing to do with this. But the, mm. the, uh, the person on the other end of the direct message really uh, had, had very little uh, ability. Now, fortunately, that's all been taken off. But I can imagine if that kind of fake news were to remain, some people would see it and, and believe it. But putting that one side... What you're doing now has clearly got lots of fans. Magnus is, is, uh, is very supportive, and uh, his voice uh, speaks very loudly in South Africa. Mm. Uh, what exactly are you hoping that the Taxpayers' Union is going to achieve, and why should people join it? Well, to put it to you in very simple terms, Alec, um, we are a union, and if you compare us to your traditional trade unions, the trade union is set up to give an individual worker or individual workers the power in order to take on a powerful uh, corporation. In other words, it restores the balance of power between the worker and the corporation. But what we as a taxpayers union do is we take that model and we create a union for the taxpayers in South Africa to restore the balance of power between the state and the taxpayer. If we look at um, what happened in South Africa for the past 25 years, is the ANC did whatever they wanted to do. There was tons of corruption, mismanagement, um, and just pure incompetence going on on every, every level of government. But... For some reason, the taxpayer never really took a strong enough stance against this to stop it. And uh, I want to actually compare this to the taxi union during COVID. So during COVID, um, what did we as the taxpayer or we as the normal middle class citizens do? Basically, there was one action being taken by... Reino de Beer from the Liberty Fighters Alliance, and he took the the government to court, and he won in the constitutional court, declaring the entire lockdown unconstitutional. So what happened after that? The ANC just ignored all of this. They they completely ignored what the constitutional court said, and they just went on doing exactly what what they wanted to do. Now, compare that to the taxi unions. When the government told the taxi unions they need to operate at half capacity. 
what the taxi unions did is they just flat out said no, and they went on with with uh, the way that they've always been carrying on, and they have the power to do so because the government know they can't pick a fight with the taxi unions, but the government can continue to destroy businesses and to uh, you know steal money and buy themselves these massive Mercedes G-Class vehicles and give these big contracts to their family members and friends that they never realize and then the money just gets lost. All of these things can happen and the, and the taxpayer can be punished and the state have the... Uh, um, they, they do it because they know that there's not going to be too much of a pushback. So what the Taxpayers Union of South Africa aims to do is to change all of that and restore the balance of power towards the taxpayer and give the taxpayer more of a say in the way that their money are being spent. Now, if you look at my video, it's about 20 minutes long where I explained more of the plan. And then also today I, I had an interview with uh, Ramon Kabanak on his YouTube channel called Morning Shots, which was about an hour long where, where I explained the whole process. Mm. Um, but I don't know if we've got time on this channel now to go through the whole process I, I, and how everything I think work. you've given us good steers. Uh, we can go, we can uh, Google, go and watch Roman's uh, interview mm -hmm. and uh, watch it on YouTube as well. But Magnus, I know you are dying to have a, 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 a at least a question or two for Willem. Yes, indeed. Uh, Willem, uh, you, you, you said in your YouTube message that you're trying to reach one and a half million people. Is there a reason for that target? Um, well, the, the the simple reason is because we want to put a big target out there. Uh, you know, as they say, aim for the moon, and then you'll uh, even if you miss, you'll you'll land up amongst the stars. That's one of the things. And then the other reason is because that'll be more than half of the current uh, taxpayers, income taxpayers. If you look at uh, five point eight percent, which was reported last of sixty million people. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why we came up with a number. The number doesn't mean that much. Uh, our legal expert, Johan Westhuizen, he's actually a fiduciary practitioner of South Africa. Um, him and I had this conversation, and we asked, uh, we asked, what do we need to get the locus standi or to get the legal standing in the, the Supreme Court and in the Constitutional Court to be able to say that we represent the taxpayer of South Africa. And then he basically said, you know, because it has never been done before, there's not a set number. But having 10%, maybe, you know, 150,000 uh, taxpayers will be, will be a very good start. And sorry, it should give us locus standi. And we are well on our way to... to, to 150,000 people. I mean, as I said, over 12,000 people already after four days after the release. Um, and we haven't even really started marketing this thing. I've just released a video, a long video, explaining the whole thing. Once I release a short video that can be more easily shared and be watched by people who don't, you know, have the interest in watching a 20-minute video about politics and these things, then we'll reach a far greater audience. So, yes, I'm, I'm very... I'm very confident we'll, we'll reach a, go, a number like a, over 100,000 within the next few weeks easily. Willem, your enemies are going to say that this is uh, angry whites, and angry whites are, or whites only 8% of South African population. Why are they causing such a lot of trouble? Are you uh, able to counter that? 
Well, to be honest with you, Alec, I am just so tired of of hearing about white this and black that all the time. Uh, I mean, whenever you want to try achieve something positive in South Africa, whenever you want to um, you want to you know bring positive change to this country, the first thing the ANC and their supporters do is they accuse you of being a white racist. And uh, I mean, if you look at the the history of Zimbabwe, for example, and if you uh, talk to you know, some of the more educated Zimbabweans, the more successful Zimbabweans all over the world, and you ask them about Mugabe, um, they will always say, you know, he completely messed up this country, but at least, you know, he got rid of the white people. And this is the probably the worst mentality that you can have in a country like Zimbabwe or South Africa, where you are, you know, so uh, so focused on race and, and so... I want to call it proud. You, you've got so much pride in your own race that you're unwilling to to accept any failures by anyone by your race. And even though all the evidence suggests otherwise and all the evidence suggests that there's a bunch of thieves stealing your money, you'll still, you know, try and to blame it on white people and make it a white versus black case. But to give you a short answer to your question, what we're going to do to in respond with this at the Taxpayers Union of South Africa, we're not going to mention black, we're not going to mention white, we're not going to mention black ANC or black government or black country or black anything. We're just going to focus on corruption, incompetence and mismanagement of money. On our front page of our website, we say we are a non-political and non-ideological, non-affiliated organization. We're not going to take any sides, whether that be on the racial nationalist debate or on the political debate. We're not going to say we support the DA or the ANC or whatever. We are not going to uh, have any ideological stance saying we are, for example, classical liberals or whatever. We are just going to say the only... The only reason for the existence of the Taxpayers Union of South Africa is to give the taxpayer more money mm. to fight corruption, fight mismanagement, and fight uh, incompetence on government level and give the taxpayer more power to do with their money as they please. So, yes, that's basically how we're going to handle the whole race debate that's always rears his ugly head everywhere you go. It's a very interesting time that we're living in now where uh, the individuals are, are being able to be heard, uh, whereas the archaic systems, some of the governance systems, uh, I, I mentioned this right at the top before you joined us, uh, that mm. we have a political system where you vote every five years, uh, usually on the basis of lies and promises that were never kept, and then the people who you do vote for get into a position where they abuse you for five years and then lie to you five years later. And in that period, there's not a heck of a lot that you can do uh, to, to make any changes. But a passing shot. We, we're coming to the end of our show. Magnus, uh, your passing suggestion uh, to Willem or question? No, I think it's uh, an initiative that we need to support. I mean, for, for far, far too long, we've just been very complacent watching what government does with not only applying the taxes, but also wasting our taxes and I think that uh, it should be non-racial. It's not a white-black thing. It's where the government is, is mismanaging our money, which lies at the heart of, of, of our country. I mean, we can see the results of the mismanagement in the, in the roads and the water and the sewage because the money that should have been spent has been dissipated or stolen. So um, all the power to you, Willem. Good luck. And if you can make Thank that connection much, between taxpaying or the money that comes out of our pockets as taxpayers and is then used by 
people in the state. It's not they have any they have no divine right to that money. We are we are their employers, and I, I, I like that part of mm. uh, of the uh, rebasing to back to where we. Uh, where we are as a society or how democracies work. Willem Petzer, just uh, finally, uh, the website, is it taxpayersunionsouthafrica.co.za? No, it's taxpayersunion.co.za. Taxpayersunion. Taxpayersunion, one word, and .co.za, yes. Well, I'm sure we are going to be talking with you in time to to follow this story. It's not something that's going away, and it is definitely uh, going to be making a few people sit up and take notice. Well, thank you very much for being with us. You can get recordings of this program on biznewsradio.com at 7 and 7. So 7 at night and 7 in the morning, you'll be able to listen to it. And, of course, going on to Business Radio on Spotify or iTunes, uh, the all of the editions of uh, the Business Power Hour are available for you. Until tomorrow at 5.30, where indeed we have a very special program for you. Uh, We have the Finance Minister of Zimbabwe, uh, who's going to be spending the first half hour with us, telling us whether or not what we're hearing from Zimbabwe, in other words, the uh, Eddie Cross version of the truth there, that uh, cement sales are hitting new records, that the economy is starting to pull up, that inflation is down. We'll hear from from Mdluli Mtuli, the Finance Minister, whether or indeed this is happening and is there on our doorstep a little bit of green shoots of hope. But until then, from our team here at Biz News, cheerio. This market report was made. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.